All right. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for, for having me tonight. Um, so, yeah, my name's Zoe. I, I promise I actually do go to this church. I'm just usually at the morning service. Um, I'm very thankful that we have a pastor who's um, so trusting and willing to um, let me share this message that's been on my heart um, about identity. So I hope it blesses you tonight. Um, but, yeah, I just really feel quite strongly that there's never been a more, inter- a more important time for the younger generation um, to know their identity in Christ. Um, and, you know, when, you, when we think about it, our identity affects everything. The way you think about yourself, present yourself, the choices, um, the decisions that you make. Research has confirmed that the most common underlying problem with humanity is connected to identity. Insecurity, depression, eating disorders, anger, suicide, these are all pretty serious problems um, affecting our society today. And they all have their roots in identity issues. And I think we all go through a time in our lives when we don't know who we are and we don't know what our value is. Um, And in church, you know, we hear many messages about the cross, which is important because nothing of what I'm about to say tonight will make sense if you don't first understand that you're a sinner saved by grace and nothing you did or ever could do earned your salvation. It's a gift. But what I'm interested in looking at tonight is where does that leave us? What am I worth to God? So let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we came here tonight to be with you, to hear you speak. Please, Lord, show us who we are and what our identity is in you. Show us what we mean to you. Open our eyes, open our ears. Thank you, Lord, for these beautiful young people who love you and long to know you, to know more about you. And thank you for filling this room with your Holy Spirit tonight. Thank you, Jesus. So the first question I think it's really important to ask ourselves is, where does my value come from? Is it my friends, my mates from school or work or uni? Is it whether, I'm not, whether or not I'm in the in crowd? How many likes I get for my Instagram pics? Is it to do with my career? How much money I make or I will make? or whether people think I'm attractive? Is my value dependent on, um, on having a boyfriend or girlfriend or getting married? If it is something like this, I want to challenge you tonight that you will never find your true value in something or someone because they didn't pay the price that Jesus did for you. And he paid that price so that you could be restored to your father. It costs God the blood of his precious son to save you. In 1 Peter 1 verse 18 it says, God did not pay a ransom to redeem you with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of his son. God was willing to pay the highest price in the universe to redeem you. The blood of Jesus. 
So on your, do- in, on your darkest day, God didn't lose sight of who you were. In your most rebellious, sinful moment, God was saying, that's not you. I know who you are and what you're made for. God would not have paid such a high price if you were not of high value to him. And your value to God begins with the fact that you are made by the hand of a creator in his very image. Humans are the only created beings made in the image of God, in his likeness. That means the very essence of God in the very essence of you. Reflected in the very essence of you. And if you think about it, God is a creator. We love to be creative. God is family. Father, Son and Holy Spirit live in relationship as one God. We were born into family. God is rational. We are rational. God is love. We were created out of that love and to be filled by his love. It's so important that you understand how loved you are by God. His love for you is relentless, immeasurable, infinite. God loves you more in a moment than any person can love you in your lifetime. Amen. How do I know that to be true? Well, because God's love is unconditional. It's passionate, it's forgiving, unchanging, everlasting, self-sacrificing. The kind of love which most people hunger for their whole lives and yet rarely find. Jesus said in John 15, verse 9, he said, I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. That is incredible. Do you realise what that means? It means as much as God the Father loves the Son is how much Jesus loves you. It's mind-blowing. It's almost too much for us to actually get our heads around. But it's true. It's written. And then straight after that, he says, Jesus says, you must continually let my love nourish your hearts. I've been reading a lot from the Passion Translation. So some of the verses you hear tonight are the Passion Translation. And I'm just loving it. And I will deliberately use it because you might hear these verses. Like you think, hang on, that sounds like that verse. But I'm hearing it in a totally different way because... It's the Passion Translation, but it's just amazing. So, it's, it's yeah, it's beautiful. But yeah, we need to get this, not just in here, we need to get it in here, don't we? Because if your view of God is inconsistent or you think he's mad at you, you won't draw near to him, you'll run away from him. And if we don't grasp this deep in our hearts at the very core of, of our identity then we'll just be shaken by this world. Trials, big and small, will come and rattle us and all of a sudden the things of the world or circumstances will speak louder than truth. And Jesus said, storms come to the wise and foolish. So you need to understand why you're on the earth or things will start defining you and you'll be taken out by circumstances. Jesus commanded us Love your neighbour as yourself. That's a big as, isn't it? If we don't get it, if we don't know we are loved by God, 
we're not going to love people properly and we're going to love we're going to go looking for love in all the wrong places and you can hear this now for free this will only end in brokenness no other person will ever be able to love you in a way that's an adequate substitute for God's love you'll just end up looking to your wife or your husband to meet all your needs and then they'll fail at that and then they'll resent you And you already know that you belong to a generation obsessed with social media and how so many of us today use images of ourselves to construct our validity and worth. It's so dangerous. Don't fall into that trap. Because the gap between the unreality of the world you create online and the reality of your life will only get bigger and you'll fall straight into the void. But knowing our identity and our value changes our whole perspective on life. Suddenly, I'm not crushed by the girl at school who spread a nasty rumour about me. Because I see how sad it is that she doesn't know her value in Christ. And is actually so deeply insecure that she needs to spread rumours about other people to feel better about herself. And the other danger we need to be aware of is believing a lie that someone or the world has spoken over you. If only my body looked like that, life would be okay. If only I was, oh, sorry. If only, um, if only I was funnier, people would like me. Don't be deceived. It's such a nasty trap to fall into because you're just being, you'll, you'll end up being robbed of the joy that God wants, to, wants you to experience in him every day. God wants you to be fully alive in him. There will always be someone prettier, smarter, smarter, sportier, wealthier than you. It's best to just work that out now. (laughs) You, You make a perfect you, but a lousy someone else. Amen. So Christ died to remove sin because you were a lost son or daughter, son and daughter. And he wants you back in the family. He wanted to put his spirit back inside of you. And the spirit that God put inside of you redeemed you and gave you eternal life because Christ is in you based on his death and his resurrection. That was not available to the original Adam through whom sin came into the world. Adam was made in innocence, but he sinned and therefore needed salvation. This verse that just kept hitting me last year over and over again, it's just so beautiful. Isaiah 43, 7. It says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone called by my name and created for my glory, not self-glory, my glory, whom I have indeed formed and made. You are sons and daughters of God have a look at Romans 8.15. All who are guided by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For what you receive was not the spirit of slavery to bring you back into fear. You received the spirit of adoption, enabling us to cry out, Abba, Father. Now this word adoption, I always struggled with this verse. I never really understood what the adoption thing meant. It didn't quite make sense to me. You know, when you read a verse, you think, is that really what it's saying? But anyway, 
as I was preparing for this, I discovered that adoption actually has a really powerful meaning. And it's, in the Ro- it's not as we understand it. This is referring to the Roman concept of adoption. So, because there, no, there was no such thing as adoption in the Jewish culture. And, of course, this makes sense because Paul was actually writing a letter to the Romans. So, in ancient Rome, when a child was born biologically, the parents had the option of disowning the child for a variety of reasons. So, the relationship was not necessarily desired by the parents or permanent. Not so, however, if a child was adopted. In Rome, adopting a child meant the child was freely chosen and desired by the parents. That child would be a permanent part of the family. Parents couldn't disown a child they adopted. An adopted child received a new identity. Any prior commitments, responsibilities and debts were erased. New rights and responsibilities were taken on. And also, this is really interesting, in ancient Rome, the concept of inheritance was part of life. Not something that began at death, as we understand it. So being adopted made someone an heir to their father, joint sharers in all his possessions and fully united to him. Let's think about what that means for us as Christians. Rather than diminish the beautiful reality of being children of God through creation, Paul's reference to the spirit of adoption essentially doubles up on the power and significance of God's fatherhood. It's a constant reminder that we are fully desired, fully loved, that we have taken on a new identity through Jesus that we were created for eternal life with God, but even now are heirs to God, co-heirs with Christ. So for this reason, and this is the next verse, so for this reason we can cry out, Abba, Father. Now that word Abba is Aramaic for Father, but it's it's used um, like in a devotion term, a, a term of endearment, like, you know, there's my dad. Hey, dad. Um, you know, I don't call him father unless I'm, I don't know, having a formal meeting or something. But, you know, I call him dad or an American daddy. Um, but, you know, like, <laughs> but it's, you know what I mean? It's more, it's, 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 um, it's, it's so much more affectionate than father. Abba is like the affectionate term. So it's hard to imagine a closer relationship to have with God than to call him dad or daddy, papa. And do you know what that means? That means that worry is illogical when your papa is the creator of the universe. And the next verse in in reading from the Passion, Passion Translation, it says, I love this, And you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, for the Holy Spirit makes God fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. So can you see how it's not the end of the story if your earthly mother or father rejected you? Yes, that's still part of your story, but that's only one chapter in the greater story of Christ restoring you to your Father through the high price he paid on the cross. Your Abba Father will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And that's why the family of God is so precious in his sight. These are your brothers and sisters. And I just want to say while I'm here and I've got the mic, if you're a, if you're a believer and your parents are not believers, you find yourself a spiritual mother or father or spiritual big sister or big brother, whatever you want to call it. But you can't walk this alone. And that's what church is for. So I fully support what Nikki's saying, what the church is trying to do. So you've got to embrace it. Tell Mark, tell Nikki, tell me, I need a spiritual mother or father. Really important. Anyway, it's not enough for me to just tell you all this stuff about identity. You know, only you can get alone with God and pray through it and read the scriptures and for yourselves and wrestle with it. And it's a really good thing to wrestle with now. Don't have a, don't have a midlife crisis at 40. Do it now. <laughs> no. but, um, but it's another thing, and this is basically part two of my sermon. It's another thing to walk it out in your life. It's one thing to know it in here. It's another thing to actually walk it out. But I believe that it's actually only through walking it out that it is confirmed within us. I think God gives each one of us opportunities in life to make a choice as to whether we're going to stand for Christ and live out our identity as his sons and daughters. This is an amazing verse from 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are, um, we are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to him. To be ambassadors for Christ means that we are his diplomatic agents of the highest rank sent to represent King Jesus and authorised to speak on his behalf. We are the voice of heaven to earth, invested with royal power through the name of Jesus and the authority of his blood. I remember a moment in my life when God made me choose whether to be his ambassador or not. My first um, job as, practice, as a practising lawyer was at the DPP, which is the Director of Public Prosecutions. Um, and I was prosecuting a case where... I was prosecuting a case where the accused had um, stayed at the Childhood Cancer Association um, at the apartments that they had on Anzac Highway um, with his son, who had leukaemia... And it's a really wonderful charity because they help remote people come and have somewhere to stay while their, their children are having treatment for cancer, like leukaemia. But anyway, the very next weekend, this man returned with his mate and um, stole every single piece of furniture. Like, not just, like, every movable item like even, like not just the TV washing machine, like the kitchen utensils, everything. It was just ridiculous. Um, he loaded up a truck and got caught. But anyway, um, it was just such a... I just, when I got the case, I thought, oh, this is just pitiful. And of course the media loved it. And anyway, that you rob, you know, that he robbed the very charity that was helping him and his sick son. Um... Anyway, the night before sentencing, God just put it so strongly on my heart that I was to give this man a Bible verse on a card. At that time, I had these little, you know, you can get them from Kurong, like little printed cards of Bible verses, and I just had a whole lot in my 
purse for opportune times. But anyway, um, anyway, I just felt God saying that I had to give this man a Bible verse from, and it was the verse was from Isaiah 43. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. And I said, no way. I can't do that. I could lose my job if he tells his lawyer. And by the way, the DPP was not exactly a Christian organisation. I think I was the only Christian that I knew of in the whole place. It was a hard place to be a Christian. Um, but the other point is you can't just approach the accused or speak to them um, unless they're unrepresented. You should, you know, you have to go through their lawyer. So, but then you just don't do that. But anyway, the next morning I saw him standing outside court waiting for his lawyer, just looking utterly terrified um, because I knew he wasn't going to get a suspended sentence. Like, how could a judge allow him to walk away? Um, Anyway, so with my heart in my throat, I remember this, I had like my court, district court robes on and I just walked past him and I said, this is for you and kept walking <laughs> oh, and then just went and sat in court waiting, feeling, feeling a bit sick. But anyway, um, as he sat there in the dock, I, could, I just couldn't believe it, his lawyer never showed his sentencing that just doesn't happen when someone's actually when you know your client's going to jail you're there for them you know so it it was just extraordinary the way God covered it his lawyer never showed and he sat there in the dock holding this card being told how long he was going to go to jail for so because you go of course he's go straight from court to jail that's it I don't remember how, how long the sentence was it was too long ago but um yeah and he just sat there and he looked at me with this look of like utter fear but gratitude all in one it was so anyway yeah I just I just remember that and and of course I don't know I don't know how the story ends I don't know if he gave his life to Christ in prison I hope he did I don't know but God does you know and it's not for me to know it's just for us to be obedient in certain situations but my favorite example of someone making a choice for God is Esther in the Old Testament. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through the whole story. We don't have time. But it's, you know, just to summarise the crucial part, so you know, if you don't know this story, Esther is an orphaned um, Jewish girl and she becomes the queen of Persia when she's chosen by the, the king of Persia um, through a beauty contest to be his new queen after going through like 12 months of beauty treatments. Um, but most importantly, the king doesn't know that she's a Jew. And if he did, there's probably, she probably wouldn't have become queen. But um, Esther's uncle Mordecai refuses to bow down to one of the princes in the king's kingdom, um, Haman. And so Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman, and Haman hates that. And so they have this mutual disdain for each other. And Haman decides that he wants to kill Mordecai. But then he decides, no, it's not enough that I'll just kill him. I'll just kill his entire people. So he comes up with this plot 
and convinces the king that, oh, there's a certain people group that aren't bowing, to, that aren't, um, bowing down to you, aren't obeying your laws. How about we just wipe them out on this particular day? And the king's like, oh, sure, okay, whatever. And then so Haman finds out about this and he's just mortified and he goes out into the public court he tears in his clothes and he's wearing sackcloth and ashes and he's wailing and Esther finds out and she's like, oh, what's my crazy uncle Mordecai doing? Like, what's he on about? What's he so upset about? Go find out. And so this messenger comes to see him and, um, and so, of course, he reports back to Esther what's going on and he urges her, go into the presence of the king to ask, you know, to, to tell him what's going on and to ask for mercy, basically. But Esther is like, are you kidding me? Everyone in the province knows that any man or woman who approaches the king without being summoned will be put to death. Unless, of course, the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their life. That's a bit like my court experience couldn't approach the accused without the lie. <laughs> no, it's not quite, not quite that good. Um, um, but anyway, plus, plus Esther says, it's been 30 days since the king's even wanted to see me. Why would I think that he would want to see me now? So she's just terrified. And then Mordecai sends this famous answer back to Esther. I'm sure you've probably heard this before. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So here, God has sovereignly decided he's going to deliver his people. He chooses you first but you can stay second if you want, but you and your family will perish. So God will raise up someone else, but he won't deliver you. You weren't born for inaction or indifference, you were born for purpose and significance. And Esther's response is amazing. She tells Mordecai to gather all the Jews and fast for her for three days, and she will do the same, and at the end of that fast, she will... Um, she will go into the king even though it's against the law and if I perish, I perish, she says. Now, the decisions and the choices in front of you right now may seem small and insignificant but they make a big difference. Small moments are what create you especially when you courageously choose to stand for God. And we know how the story ends, that Esther's courage was met with the favour from the king and then ultimately her courage saved the entire, saved all her people. But she didn't know how the story was going to end. She had to take a risk. Her identity and significance wasn't visible to her at the time. It only became apparent through her actions and that can be true for us. Sometimes we find ourselves best when we stop reflecting inwardly and take a few brave steps outwardly. And what an impact you can have when you do. 
And speaking of brave, do you remember when David, as a young shepherd boy, was asked by his father to leave the sheep and take some food and supplies to his brothers who were fighting the Philistines? When he got there, he found the giant Goliath roaming the battlefield, taunting and blaspheming the God of Israel. David's response to his brothers is, let's do something about it. And they laughed at him. Oh, you think you're the big hero, do you? Do you remember David's answer? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? In other words, there's a giant out there who hates the living God. What are you doing standing around too paralysed by fear to do anything about it? Our God will fight for me. If I die, I die. And Esther realised the same thing. She realised there was an enemy out there, not only of her people, but more importantly, of the living God. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson about Esther. Wherever there is a people of God, there are enemies of God. A realisation that there is, in fact, an enemy forces a reassessment of priorities. The moment Haman surfaced, Esther began to move from being a beauty queen to becoming a Jewish saint from being an empty-headed sex symbol to being a passionate intercessor, from the busy indolent life in the harem to the high-risk venture of speaking for and identifying with God's people. In every generation until the return of Christ, there is an enemy at work, and he's filled with fury because he knows his time is short, Revelation 12.12. So I just really want to challenge you tonight, like, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason to know our identity and authority in Christ, to take a stand as sons and daughters of God? God is not responding to the prayers of anyone but his people, his sons and daughters. You are ranked higher than the angels. And one of the reasons I wanted to preach this message tonight is because As a lawyer, I've been so grieved in my spirit when I have to go down to court to make submissions on young teenage boys or girls, usually around the age of 14, who want to change their gender identity. I'm not a girl anymore. I want to be known as a boy and I'm going to legally change that. Or I'm not a girl anymore. I want to be known as a boy. And this really troubles me when I walk to court because I know that This sort of thing can only come from a place of darkness where Satan, the father of lies, has twisted the truth and devalued that precious child of God. And so God began working in my heart about identity. And I know I may not be able to change that situation, but I can help to strengthen those who do know Jesus to know who they are and whose they are. Jesus said, he who wants to save his life will lose it. Yet so many people are running around trying to save their lives and be comfortable, and yet they're bored and depressed. We're all going to die. The question is, are you really going to live? We'll never be a threat to the darkness or a menace to the devil if we can't settle our minds whether or not we are in Christ. But what would happen if you said to yourself, I was born for this hour? And you are. are. There's a time to be born. 
The Bible says that. But we hold back because we're, we're waiting until we feel courageous, but yet we're commanded to be courageous. Not fearless, but courageous. I love how Chris Vallotton says, courage is fear that said its prayers. That's good. So just like Esther, you are called for a royal purpose. You were born for this time. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not a stuff up. You're in fact quite extraordinary. You're immensely important and enormously precious. And the world that surrounds you is the world God assigned you. And did you know that all of creation is groaning for you to know your identity as sons and daughters of God? Romans 8, 19, all creation waits in eager expectations for the sons of God to be revealed. Not only that, the Holy Spirit groans for us and Christ intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. He wants you to understand that he chose you when you were dead in your sins and had no options. He wants you to know the wonderful story of your redemption, that you were brought into a family with eternal significance, purchased at a high price. And you know that verse that we just love and we we hear it a lot, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Do you know that verse occurs in this passage that I'm talking about? So in other words, for anyone who loves God, no matter what it looks like at the moment... It will be turned for good. It has to. It can't help it. I've got creation groaning. I've got the Spirit of God groaning. I have the Son of God praying. All of that is going on to a Father who is determined to bless me. Who is there in opposition to me that matters? What enemy in the process actually gets to vote? So my prayer tonight is that you would all begin to understand this from the inside out, that you would know who you truly are in Christ and how much you are worth and that would begin to shape your life and the choices you make week by week, day by day, moment by moment. Don't project into the future and fret about it. Just rest in Christ and his daily lessons, his daily word. Let that take root inside of you and know that you are an ambassador for Christ. Sent to represent King Jesus. Authorised to speak on his behalf. That you're the voice of heaven to the earth. Invested with royal power through the name of Jesus and the authority in his blood. So in this song that's about to be played with a worship team, I just want to invite each of you where you are to bow your heads And ask God to show you afresh your identity in Christ. And just thank him for making you who you are. Thank him for the life he's given you. And thank him for making you an ambassador of Christ. But if there's something that I have said tonight and you just feel like, I don't know, something's missing, something's struck a chord but you don't know how to process it. If there's something that you really feel you need prayer for, Come down in this song and we'll pray for you. I don't want you to miss that opportunity. It's a safe place. It's vulnerable. I know the times that I've just come and needed prayer, I've just come come away just so blessed and thankful. So please don't, don't hold back and the prayer team can be here.
Thanks, guys. Bless you. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app. 